are listening to Manufactured with Kim von der Weert and Jessie Lee, a podcast about sustainability and the making of fashion. Join us every week in conversation with the people who manufacture what we wear. The last few weeks have all represented a big first for our show. We hosted our first Julian leader. Our first cotton farmer, and now our first leather manufacturer. Vijay recently wrapped up his time as a CSR and sustainability manager for Asia Ten. He is originally from India, though he has studied in the U.S. and spent significant time in China, where Asia Ten is based. As a result of pandemic, he's recently left Asia Ten and relocated back to India to be nearer to his family. He now works freelance. This is part two of our conversation with VJ, and we highly recommend going back to listen to part one before listening to this one. In part one, VJ gave an overview of the leather production steps and situates Asia Ten within that. What's their relationship with shoe factories, and what's their relationship with brands? This episode is all about inputs. What types of input does Asia Ten need to make its leather? Where do these come from? What's their relationship like with their suppliers, and how does this impact traceability of leather? In part three, we zoom back out, giving the relationships upstream and downstream, and the complexity of sustainability issues facing the leather industry. How did Asia Ten decide where to start its sustainability journey, and what's Vijay's take on the role of government regulation? Our episodes this week are thanks to our collaboration with Jazz at Fabric. The Fabric project is commissioned by the German Federal Ministry for Economic Cooperation and Development, and supports the Asian textile industry in its transformation towards fair production for people and the environment. VJ was a speaker on the fourth edition of Jazz at Fabric's online seminar series called "Getting Through the Crisis Together." Asian dialogues on sustainability in the textile and garment industry. If you are on Instagram, please follow us to grow the conversation at Manufactured Underscore Podcast, or sign up to our weekly newsletter instead on our website www.manufacturedpodcast.com to find out what we're reading, what we're thinking, and what we're wishing. If you like to support us financially, you can make a Patreon donation via our homepage. To find out more about the GIZ Fabric Project and the seminar series "Getting Through the Crisis Together: Asian Dialogues on Sustainability in the Textile and Garment Industry," check out the links we've put in our show notes. And finally, don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes and hit subscribe. Vijay, in part one of this conversation, you gave us a lot of context for how the leather production process works. Which parts of that production process Asia Tan does, and your relationships with with shoe factories as well as with brands. So now let's talk raw materials. You mentioned that you are buying tanned hides, and that Asia Tan is doing the retanning. So where where are those coming from, and what types of partners are you working with to get them? Right. So most of our material comes from two places. One is、uh, South America, Brazil, and the other is Africa. Uh, uh, mostly、uh, Eastern Africa. So,、uh, luckily, we have had、uh, good relationships with our suppliers、uh, for tanned hides, and we've been in business with them for decades. 
So we actually have a very good understanding with them uh, about what material we're expecting them to send us, for them to send us, and uh, we make sure that we're in constant touch with them. Because again, we work closely with our upstream suppliers to make sure that uh, we're on the same page when it comes to sustainability, right? So for example, we did a pro- an LCA project with one of our suppliers in Brazil. And LCA here refers to life cycle assessment. Where we actually had a look at the environmental footprint of rearing of the cow. So it was a cradle to gate LCA project. So we got information from them on what is the number footprint of the cow and then added our processes into it to make a full LCA, cradle to gate LCA research uh, project. And cradle to gate here refers to a model that looks at emissions that are generated during the, the process of raw material extraction all the way through to the making of the finished goods, so when it exits the factory. Whereas cradle to grave looks at everything from raw material extraction all the way through to consumer use and disposal. So again, it helps to have a very good uh, relationship with the suppliers. And we're trying to do the same with our Eastern African uh, suppliers too right now. Uh, Because again, you've got to remember when it comes to leather, a large environmental footprint of the leather manufacturing comes from rearing of the animal. Um, So... I just want to clarify. So when you, you're buying these tanned hides, are they are those then the same entities that are actually rearing the animals or is there like another layer in between? All right. So the way it works is we work with the supplier that's providing the hides. So the hides get tanned at this phase, right? So in this stage is where uh, the raw hides get tanned. So that's where we're buying it from. But they basically get their raw hides from a slaughterhouse. You know, that's where the meat is uh, getting processed. And then they basically collect all the hides and then tan it and then sell it to us. Oh, interesting. So there's sort of like, I guess you could say sort of two parties or two entities or two steps before it even gets to you. I would in fact say there are three steps because then where is the cow coming from, right? So the cow is either coming in places in South America, it's obviously industrialized. So you have these big or corporations basically rearing the cow for the meat then they butcher it and then they sell it but they receive their cows from farmers you know so it goes to different different stages before it gets to even the uh, slaughterhouse and then to the tannery you mentioned uh, vj that the the materials coming from industrial just want to clarify that coming from slaughterhouse and the slaughterhouse, of course, the cow, uh, from farmers, from headers. And headers, I, I imagine they are individual headers, right? Not like uh, in other countries there are, for instance, not like in US, you have industrial animal farms. Mm. Just curious about, so where are the animals from? All right. So, I mean, when it comes to South America, it's pretty similar to even the States, I'm guessing. It's industrialized farming, right? But in Eastern Africa, it's more of, for example, a farmer has 10 cows and he takes two cows to the slaughterhouse. So that's not industrialized. So basically a slaughterhouse just collects hides for like a few days and then sends it to a tannery. He sells it to the tannery. So industrialized farming is where they just buy like cows in bulk, right? And then uh, obviously in Brazil... They let it grow to a certain age and then they process for the meat. So it goes into like huge herds and then these herds get processed into meat. 
while as in Eastern Africa, it's totally the opposite because they have much smaller quantities. So the farmer sells it to us, a butcher, the butcher collects the highs and then sells it to uh, a tannery. Okay, that's that's really interesting because I ask this question because these days uh, traceability and transparency are very hot words, you know. And I was thinking, Absolutely. yeah, and I was thinking, well, so you're really from your example, it makes me think you really need to have trust on with your direct supplier first, and then you are able to know quite well where your materials come from, and that trust is actually built up with levels. Only, only by that way you can say, okay, I really know where it comes from. Otherwise, it's like a puzzle. There's right. without trust, there is no way to really trace. Of course, unless we have a very developed technology, but we don't have it today. So I suppose today, if we talk about trans uh, transparency and traceability, we really need to talk about the trust with the direct suppliers and suppliers suppliers. And I think that is the way to make it possible. 100%, Jesse, you actually hit two keywords that are like, again, buzzwords in the leather industry. That's traceability and transparency. And that's the reason why when we source our material from South America, we make sure that we get a declaration from our supplier saying that the material that we're receiving from them is not involved in any deforestation, is not involved in any slave trading, is not involved in any kind of uh, embargoes that are set by the government. So we make sure that they sign a declaration and give it to us because they are liable if they're not. And the other thing is we make sure that, uh, coming back to traceability, so it's easier to trace an animal that's gone through industrialized production or industrialized farming. So in our case, what we did is we worked with our supplier to come up with a code. So each hide that we receive from a supplier is marked with a certain uh, code, which basically tells us exactly when that animal was uh, slaughtered and which group of farms it came from. So that was something mm -hmm. we worked on for the last few years with our supplier so that we can trace each and every hide back to the farm that it came from because then we can trace the farm make sure that that farm was not involved in any kind of deforestation in the Amazon. So again, this code is kept throughout our process. It, we, it gets all the way to the shoe factory. Even they can check that code. It's an open database where they can go and punch in that code into the website and they'll know exactly what farm it's come from and to make sure that the farm has not been involved in any form of deforestation. So again, traceability is a number one topic when it comes to leather supply chains right now. We did a conversation recently with a cotton farmer in in the U.S. and he was he. It was interesting because what you have just described, he sort of explained a very similar process, but when it comes to cotton, and he sort of explained like how these you know bales of cotton get these various tags and sort of until what stage you can basically. And, and explain sort of like, you know, until what stage that that tag remained with the cotton and at what stages it actually became consolidated and a lot more difficult to then trace back to um, the individual farmer. And he was talking about this within the context of blending. But it's interesting to hear that now in a totally different industry, there's sort of a similar a similar system. Right. Yeah, animals are much easier. Animals are much easier to trace than uh, a cotton, a bear cotton. I think. Uh, you again, think? Yeah. Uh, Jesse, let me just let me just uh, interrupt you for a second because it's easy yeah. to trace when it goes through industrialized production or industrialized farming. That same process would be extremely difficult for us to 
uh, implement when it comes to Eastern Africa? Because again, this is a place where a butcher is basically collecting yeah. cows yeah. from hmm. individuals, hundreds, yeah. hundreds of farmers, you know? So yeah, yeah. for him to be able to trace that hide back to the farm is absolutely, absolutely, absolutely impossible at the moment. Yeah, you know, I understand that. It's a, it, it's a similar situation as we talk about coffee beans, like uh, coffee coffee uh, plantation. It's, it'll be very difficult to trace coffee because you are, coffee beans because you are facing hundreds of hundreds of uh, small coffee bean growers. It's a similar right. similar idea and a similar situation Absolutely. here. When you face hundreds of small farmers who have ten cows or maybe maximum fifteen cows or something like that, then right. Very difficult. It's like trees uh, a drop wa- drop of water from the ocean end. Yeah, absolutely. But is it correct to say that like sort of the the traceability requirements that come with sustainability would encourage a uh, a company like you know that's that's making leather to work that they would maybe have a preference to work with industrial um partners or actually is that incentive there anyway because maybe it's it's cheaper and it's it's more reliable or you know for what for whatever other reason no i mean if traceability is important yes and it is important i'm I'm saying traceability is 100 important it's easier to implement when it comes to industrialized farming than when it comes to uh say a free range animal that's just going to a slaughterhouse but at the same time, I also have to emphasize that there are ways in which you can work with some of these smaller suppliers because in the end, you don't want them to go out of business. You know, They mm-hmm, have mm-hmm. a product that is of use and if not for them being converted to leather, it would be going into landfill. You know, So it's important to work with them to come up with a way that even their material can be traceable. It might be a little bit more difficult to implement, but it's not impossible. But yeah. how to say, maybe we can frame it in this way. In the current system, if we only think about efficiency, how to quickly trace something, how to efficiently get the data, efficiently uh, get into production and so on, then the easiest way is go with industrial animal farms. However, the easiest way or the most efficient way sometimes are not the best way. I'm thinking of cotton again, because one of the conversations we had around cotton traceability is that actually one of the barriers is that it requires, like, for instance, if you want to have, like, a true traceability or also even, like, you know, of especially of, like, say, different types of qualities of cotton, whether that's organic or Pima cotton or whatever it might be, that it requires, like, um, the ginners and the mills and everyone sort of at, at every step of the process having basically management systems that are able to sort of keep track of these differences, which maybe like sounds straightforward, but actually is quite complicated and quite difficult to implement. And it sounds like in some ways, Vijay, what you're describing is a similar barrier. It's about, it's about management and the amount of work it takes to basically be able to implement a system that would be able uh, to do that, which then of course comes to cost and price and whether 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 people are willing to pay for that. Right. Uh, honestly speaking, if you ask a slaughterhouse in Eastern Africa that's just trying to get by, you know, to come up mm-hmm. with all these ways to somehow bring traceability, honestly speaking, he just doesn't care because it's not going to make a difference to his bottom line. You know, and in fact, it's more work and he's probably like just Like he wouldn't by. get paid more if he was able to provide that information? 
not in today's world. Some of the companies that uh, we work with in Eastern Africa, like we pay them a little bit more than what the market uh, value is just to make sure that they survive, just, just so that they can improve. You know, we do not want to get just ring them to like, get as much as possible because then they can't survive. And then what happens to us? Because that, that basically uh, disrupts our supply chain. So you want to make sure that we work together. There might be times that their value could be, they, they could be undervalued, they could be overvalued. So you want to make sure we at least keep that dialogue open to make sure that they're happy supplying to us. You know, and that's a very right. important part of business. Yeah. Um, again, it reminds me of the conversations we've had around cotton because like we, we have an interview. Um, we did an interview recently with somebody who was encouraging like direct to grower, um, looking at direct to grower sourcing models. And that was his point was that like at the farm level, people who are, you know, producing cotton in a more sustainable way aren't getting paid more for it. There's no incentive for them. And that was sort of his point was you have to look at sort of like the risk profiles and the incentive structures sort of at each step of the chain to then figure out like what would it take to then get everybody sort of moving in the same direction when it comes to, you know, working more sustainably. I mean, you point out that like, you you know, you're trying to pay higher prices because you want your partners to remain in business. But there's also a limit, as I imagine, as to what you can do, because you're also f- sort of fixed by the prices that you're getting for right. your products. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, okay, I actually want to, <laughs> we've, we've talked, a, we've, we've, this has been fascinating. Thank you. And I want to get more into sustainability. But I actually have one last context question that I realized we hadn't talked about, which was, we've talked a lot about the leather, but there's another type of material that Asia Tan would buy, right? And that would be chemicals. Is that right? Absolutely. So the two raw materials that go into leather, leather leather making is a very simple process, you know, there's only two raw materials. One is obviously the hides and the second is the chemicals. So chemicals are what give leather some of the Features that you want from leather, for example, make it soft. Uh, but again, chemicals are also one of the reasons why leather is a polluting industry or the leather industry is a polluting industry. So in our case, what we did is we went and analyzed each and every chemical that goes into the leather making process. And back in 2012, 2014, 2012, 2013, 2014, we had close to like 70, 80 chemicals uh, that went through leather making of one product, you know. So we've tried to bring that down to around like 20, 25 chemicals. Just based strictly on research, put each chemical, see what each chemical does, and then basically figure out what's the better alternative to that chemical. What's a better environmentally uh, friendly chemical that we can use in its place. Again, in the end, leather is the boss, all right? We want to make a good product. We're not going to... Make a bad product because we're trying to be environmentally sustainable. We have to make a good product that's environmentally sustainable. That was our motto. So that's what we worked on. And again, this is something that each and every manufacturing facility should work on is a chemistry. Because one of the things that we often face when I talk to other manufacturers is uh, how can I reduce pollution, right? How can my ETP take a lower load? And ETP here refers to the effluent treatment plant, which is a process designed for treating the industrial wastewater um, in the leather industry for its reuse or safe disposal into the environment. Right. And oftentimes it's not 
buying more expensive equipment or buying more expensive technology to treat your wastewater, oftentimes it's going to the fundamentals, the very first stage, seeing what chemicals you're putting in your product so that the chemical load on the ETP is much lower at the later stage. It's You don't have to pay a lot of money to fix the pollution. Fix the chemistry first, and then you can talk about fixing your ETP plan. So it's about, if I get it, got this right, it's about sort of reducing from the get-go the types of chemicals and the load of chemicals that you're needing to use and seeing if you can get that down to sort of a bare minimum. And then looking at like, the wastewater treatment and things like that. But if you can get it right from the sort of point of or if you can get it a better start from the point of origin, then everything else sort of that follows also becomes much easier. Is that right? Absolutely. 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 Look at the fundamentals, look at the chemicals going into your product, and then you can fix your EPP plant later to reduce your uh, pollution. Are the chemicals that you're buying mostly coming from China or... What uh, kind uh, of like partners uh, are, are you, do you have for uh, that? Majority of our chemicals, I, I would say like close to like 99% of our chemicals come from branded companies. So these are the big companies like Stahls, Lanxus. Because again, one of the other things you have to look at is when you're making products, for example, shoes or apparel, you have to look at the restrictive substances. And all the restrictive substances basically come from the chemicals. So it's important that you have a chemical supplier that you can trust to make sure that there's no restrictive substances that get uh, uh, passed on to the product that you're making. So it's important that you buy chemicals from places that you know, just to make sure that you don't run into problems later on. So most of our chemicals come from uh, brands. And oftentimes, obviously, uh, the big uh, chemical companies, uh, they do have uh, their agents or their partners in China. So it was never a difficult thing for us to get our bad chemicals in China. And on that note, we're going to close this part of the conversation, but be sure to tune in to part three when we zoom out and look at sustainability more generally. How did Asia Tan break this big, complex problem down into concrete steps? And how did they make choices between different priorities and ways of tackling this problem? And part three has been released today as well, so you can continue right on listening if you're enjoying this conversation. Thank you for listening to Manufactured. To learn more about our guests and the issues we've chatted about today, sign up for our weekly newsletter on our website, www.manufacturedpodcast.com, or find us on Instagram at manufactured underscore podcast. We'd also love to hear your stories and what you think. Collecting with listeners is the most rewarding part of what we do, so please don't be shy. To be the first to find out about new episodes, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also love it if you left us a review. Leaving a review helps other people find our show. And finally, if you'd like to support us financially, you can make a Patreon donation via our website homepage. Thanks for listening and see you next week.